Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thank you so much for listening. My guest today is Laura Kinnery, travel writer. This episode was recorded in the back of a shuttle van going from Vail, Colorado to the Denver International Airport. So this is recorded live on I-70, eastbound I-70, coming from the mountains. And it was very early. It was 7 in the morning. And uh, we were both a little tired, and for good reason. We had just climbed a 13,000-foot peak the previous day. Homestake peak, it was, a little over 13,200 feet. We did a llama trek, so llamas carried our heavy gear. It was cool. It was uh, all thanks to Christian Yantis at Melon Yantis PR in Vail, who invited me there, and uh, several other travel writers, of which Laura was one. And she was nice enough to have me bother her on the bus ride back (laughs) to the airport on the following day. So I apologize right now for the uh, sound quality. It doesn't sound so bad, but uh, it's not the pristine quality you're hearing right now in my home studio. But um, you can read all about our Llama Trek up Homestake Peak on our website. Have I mentioned the website yet? Well, I'm mentioning it right now. That would be TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there. You can see the story about uh, under the article section about this trip to Vail, Colorado. And uh, my, also a bonus episode, a bonus podcast episode, a little mini episode, about 15 minutes, with Kristen Yantis, who was responsible for uh, inviting me and all the other travel riders up there to Vail. And it was a great trip. And you can see the photos and read about it at TravelTalesPodcast.com. And if you're at the website, go down to the bottom of the page and you can see all the links to our social media. And that, of course, is iTunes, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc., etc., etc. And if you're on iTunes, hey, why not give us a good rating? That's a nice thing to do. Costs you nothing and boosts the presence of the show and helps people find it. So give us a nice rating. You don't even have to write a big thing. You can give us a star rating. But hey, if you want to write a few nice things, that's always cool too. All right. That being said, let's get to the highway in the shuttle van with travel writer Laura Kinnery. Enjoy. Travel writer extraordinaire, Laura Kinnery. How are you today? I'm doing very well, thank you. It's about 7 in the morning. Uh, We're both extremely exhausted. And uh, we are in the mountains above uh, beautiful Vail, below now, Vail, Colorado. And uh, it's about a two-hour drive to the airport. If you hear this background noise, it is us in the back of a van going down I-70. Laura and I met on a press tour for Vail. We were invited by the uh, beautiful uh, Kristen Yantis. And we just spent the, We just climbed a 13,000-foot peak. You did very well, by the way. Thank you. So did you. Okay. Well, yes. Well, <laughs> how very nice of you to say. Anyway, uh, I got to meet Kristen and a number of other people on the, on the trip. There was a group of, what was it, four of us, five of us? Five. How many writers? Five writers. And um, we had a great time. It was a lot harder than, you th- than I thought it would be. How did you uh, take the climb? It was a lot harder than I thought, too. I thought it was going to be a hike, not a climb. And we had to scramble up, what was it, the, um, Talus? We had to scramble up these yeah, rocks. Yeah, Talus. 
um, and uh, the oxygen was pretty thin. Thin. <laughs> it was pretty thin, um, but it was really a wonderful experience. We actually did a lot of bushwhacking too, which I wasn't prepared to do. Yeah, bushwhacking. If, it, if people don't know, is like uh, there's not a real clear trail, so you got to hack away at the bushes and you know, whack away. Let's say, let's why don't we just call it what it is? Whacking at the bushes. <laughs> Hence the name. Uh, you are a travel writer. A full-time travel writer, right? Yes, I am. Okay. And you live in where? Tell us who you are and uh, give us your job title. When people ask you what you do, what do you tell them? I tell them I'm a freelance writer who specializes in travel. And I'm based in San Francisco, California, where I've lived for 19 years. 19 years and a native of New Jersey, right? Yes. South Jersey. Uh, South Jersey. I like how they have to, like, you know, no, South Jersey. I'm not a North Jersey person. Well, no, no, it means that I'm a Philadelphia sports team. Right, right. Um, you know, and I have my own shore towns that are south of LBI. Right. Cherry Hill or not Cherry Hill? South of Cherry Hill. It's called Deptford. Deptford. Oh, it's south of Cherry Hill, and you were, like, right at, in Philly, right? Almost. Like 20 minutes over the bridge. Okay. So uh, how does one become a travel writer, and how did you get into it? How does one become a travel writer? I well, I mean, everybody wants to, like half the kids who travel now what, say they want to make their living being a travel writer or a photographer or a blogger or something. How did you get into it? Um, I always loved writing and I always loved traveling. And I got my degree at San Francisco State in liberal studies because I took the 10-year plan. Um, and then I, I went... Liberal studies. You couldn't get more vague <laughs> than liberal studies. No. You know what? I can't, uh, I can't really pick anything. <laughs> I wanted to go to school for creative writing, but I had to work at, at night and the classes were all at night. So I just went for liberal studies to get my degree... Um, which may or may not have helped me. I'm not really sure. Right. You know, I always wonder now, as, as college gets more and more expensive, it's even worth it. That's a big question now, as these kids are going like $100,000 in debt. I mean, what are they getting out of it? I mean, I don't know. Anyway, that's a, that's a whole other podcast. <laughs> so, okay, so you, you've, you get your degree, San Francisco State. What were you doing during the day? What was your day job? Um, well, I was waiting tables at night. So oh, right. You had to reverse. Okay. Yes. So I was waiting tables to get through school, and I saved up a lot of money. And after I graduated, I went traveling to New Zealand, Australia, and Thailand for six months. And when I came back, I still had some savings and decided that I wanted to segue from waiting tables into writing, which isn't the easiest segue in the world. Right. But when you are persistent and... Um, don't listen to the people that tell you that you can't do it, and you live very sparingly for years, it works out. Okay. Well, so, I mean, it works out. If you're, if you're doing what you love and you know that you're good at it, it works out. So what are some of the um, publications and outlets you've uh, written for? I write regularly for American Way. It's American Airlines Magazine, um, BBC.com Travel, uh, Smithsonian Online, Popular Mechanics, and uh, other publications are include Oprah Magazine, National Geographic Traveler, the Dallas Morning News, Draft Magazine, um, just any place that uh, I have an idea for and is willing to give me a chance. I didn't realize uh, Popular Mechanics had this extensive travel section. <laughs> where, where, do, where do they go? I, I've never seen it. Here's an example. When I was uh, traveling in Kyoto and Osaka, I came across um, this crazy clock that it was it's a clock made of water so when the water falls it tells you what time it is oh wait a minute i was in kyoto did you see that how long ago was that it was last february is it new i can't remember if it was in kyoto or osaka but i think it was relatively new okay it was yeah i a, didn't see it maybe in a train terminal or something okay 
But um, so I did a, a story for Popular Mechanics on the most uh, high tech clocks in the world. You know, so okay. it's a way to incorporate travel into into your everyday Popular Mechanics. <laughs> right, right. So how do you? What was your first paid travel writing story? I wrote a story for International Railway Traveler. It's a uh, sounds exciting. I'm a, I'm a uh, subscription holder. Go ahead. <laughs> I think I got paid fifty dollars. Sweet. Of course, I hung the check on my refrigerator. Uh, but it was a story about traveling by train in Thailand. Oh, okay. So, did you set this up before? You, was this on your big uh, post graduation New Zealand well, thing? Well, it was a, a story about the experience that I had during that, but. Um, I didn't write it until a couple of years later. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, you, you did this whole trip, New Zealand, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand. Was that your first time out of the country? No. The first time I was out of the country was when I was 16. I went to Scandinavia, Denmark, Norway, and Sweden because my cousin, my older cousin, was going with her school. She told me she was going to Scandinavia, and I said, where's Scandinavia? And she told me, and I said, can I come with you? And she said, let's ask my parents. And they said, sure, you can go. <laughs> so I went. <laughs> and then I was hooked ever since. Okay, what, what was it about your first foreign travel experience that blew you away and made you go, okay, traveling's my thing? Everything just seemed so different than it did in the States. I don't know, I just liked being meeting new people and... Um, trying different foods. I mean, I, I think I was really I was really nervous at the time. I, the most exotic thing I had ever eaten was the El Grando cheeseburger at Chi-Chi's. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that, that's wrong on so many accounts. First of all, Chi-Chi's, the most American Mexican chain, generic. And second of all, it was a burger, a different it's kind of El burger. El Grando cheeseburger. Okay, that is the least Mexican of Mexican <laughs> foods. But go on. So you were pretty sheltered. I was very, very sheltered. Um, no one in my family. No, actually, my parents just got their passports a few years ago. My brother went out of the country for the first time in his honeymoon in October. Wow! So uh, I don't come from a family of travelers, and um, but my mother always wanted to travel, and I think she kind of always kind of inspired me with that and put that in me. And so I was very interested, and um, I don't know that it was just so different over there, and there was just so much to see. There was this gorgeous sculpture garden in Norway that I fell in love with in Oslo, Norway. And um, just meeting all the different people, I guess, and, and the different colors and the sights and the attractions. And I don't know. How long did you spend there? I was only there for a week, um, but it was enough to, to get me hooked. And then I went to Mexico by myself. It was my first solo trip in 2000 when I was at San Francisco State. It was sort of my spring break, but it was really me just pulling up in a hut on the beach in Tulum and with my journal and cerveza and uh, <laughs> just spending a week writing. What were you running away from? There was something you were running away from. Come on, I let's be honest. not. <laughs> People ask me that all the time. Every time I say I'm going to sublet a place in Europe or go on another trip, they ask me what I'm running from or what am I running to? Yeah, or people think uh, I'm a spy. That's what they're convinced. They're convinced <laughs> that I work for the CIA because I, I travel alone around the world. They're like, well, what are you really doing in Croatia three times or something? You seem like a spy. Yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> I don't know, is that good? I don't know if that's good. That's good. Um, okay, so you, you made it through uh, college and uh, you got paid for your first trip. Okay, so you got your first $50 check for travel writing. Boy, uh, American Railway Magazine really... <laughs> They're dishing out the... Uh, National Railway Traveler. National Railway Traveler, okay. something like 10 cents a word. 10 cents a word, okay. <laughs> well, this is what uh, I'm sure people always ask you as a travel writer. Uh, do you uh, pitch the idea for the travel thing, or do they call you up and go, we have a story for you, go do it? 
Um, I, it's a little bit of both. I mean, when you're first starting out, you pitch the idea because you really need to, I mean, especially when I started out, I was cold calling everyone and, or cold emailing. And I have really good luck with that. I know some people would never, ever do that. Um, but I just find an editor's information maybe online or on the masthead of a magazine and I contact them with an idea and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but I think the most important thing is to set up um, a correspondence and a relationship with somebody and and then as time goes on, they get to know you, they get to know what you like and what you're good at and um, they you know, maybe they'll contact you, they'll come across an idea. My popular mechanics um, editor just saw something the other day and said, I thought of you with this and um, sent me the idea, so I'm going to write a story. So how long have you been a travel writer? Like 10, you'd say? Uh, maybe 10. I, my first real gig was a guidebook to New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's talk about that. How does one, like, did you pitch the, a book idea, this thing, like to uh, one of the big, like, Lonely Planet or something like that? So I got back from traveling, and I needed to get some work. And I thought, well, you know, I want to write, I want to travel, and but I didn't really have any marketable skills. Skills, okay. yes. And so nobody was looking at my resume because it was very sparse. We, we need more liberal arts uh, majors. <laughs> so I looked on Craigslist. It was when Craigslist wasn't bombarded with a bunch of crazy uh, things, but there was an um, ed ad or whatever, a call for writers for a guidebook to New Jersey for Moon Handbooks, Avalon Travel Publishing. And I thought, what the hell, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll pitch in a little letter. And so I, I wrote a letter and because I live in South Jersey and not North Jersey, which is the place most people are familiar with, or I lived there, I really kind of pitched this whole story about being from South Jersey and eating cheese fries at two in the morning and being a Springsteen fan and my Jersey Shore towns and that kind of thing. And they really liked my, my pitch. And so they asked me to write a book proposal and I did. And they also, at the time, realized that I had no professional writing experience. And so as much as they enjoyed my book proposal and my letter, um, they told me that they couldn't give me the book because I had nothing. And so I went and I got an internship in San Francisco unpaid um, at a place called Traveler's Tales that does uh, traveling books. And and uh, I did I learned a little bit about writing. I, I did some of their PR stuff to just kind of get my name out there. And I took a photography class because the book needed um, pictures. And I wanted to show that I could take the pictures for the book. And every three months, I would contact the editor again with, like, a little story idea about New Jersey. And sometimes she would respond. Sometimes she wouldn't. But they turned me down two more times. <laughs> and then I uh, found out that they were going to a travel writing conference that I was going to. So I said, I'm going to be at this conference. And I know that one of your editors is going to be there. You haven't given anyone else the book yet. And I really want to do it. And I've gotten all this extra experience. So I want you to talk to me. And so they said they'd take me out to lunch. And they asked me to write the book proposal all over again and they gave it to me after a year wow very persistent you wanted to sell new jersey i um, wanted that, to get paid and be a writer <laughs> when you say you wrote, wrote a book proposal what goes into writing a book proposal i mean how many is it like a five page thing is it like a one one sheet like tell us in a paragraph what the book's about i mean uh, what goes into a book proposal especially a travel book proposal so much goes into a travel book proposal. For New Jersey, I had to outline the entire state and say exactly the places that I was going to, um, the cities I was going to cover, the towns I was going to cover, the attractions. I um, had to say what other books were out there and um, what books would be competing with my book and why my book would be different and why it would be better. 
um, I had to, again, tell them what my skills were and why I was the right person to write this book as opposed to someone else that might have expertise in New Jersey. Um, I had to write some sample. They have these things in, in at least moon guidebooks called highlights, and they're kind of like or ca- called call-outs where you call out um, a section, maybe a story about Asbury Park or a story about... Um, trying to think of what I might have done, Campbell Soup Company that was based in um, Camden, New Jersey. And that's actually your creative writing part. So the book proposal in the end, I think, was about 50 to 70 pages. It was a lot of work. Wow. Um, and the book, writing the book was the hardest thing I've ever done. I, I wouldn't quite recommend going into your first thing doing, being your first professional writing experience or true professional writing experience being writing a 500-page book. Right. Okay, this is what I always wondered about uh travel guides because I've used a lot of them over the years what uh, how do you decide what cities to go to because there's so many towns I mean if you want to cover all of New Jersey I mean that's a lot of towns so how do you decide what to leave in what to leave off off the map I know some towns are much more interesting than others but are you do you feel like there's some places you're obliged to go to and like well I don't want to I find this town boring but I got to include it on the in the book and no, I mean, I did a lot of preliminary research from my home in San Francisco where I read a lot of articles from the New York Times. Um, I read a lot of other guidebooks in New Jersey to kind of see what was covered and what was left out. My editor actually asked me for what, there was one specific place in the entire book that she was like, I just don't see why anybody would go here. I don't know why you're including it and it's Deptford, the town I'm from. And I said, <laughs> because I'm from there and I really want to just, you know, represent them. So she let me keep it in. Is it known for, what is it known for? Anything at all? Uh, Patty Smith grew up there. Oh, okay. Well, then. Well. And Pig farms, <laughs> but there's a mall. There's a Deptford Mall that. Okay, a mall is not a. Uh, I'm sorry. No, I... but you could find. Okay, the the first hot air balloon landing in the states occurred in Deptford. Well, are people do they acknowledge uh, Patty Smith's history there? I mean, is there any kind of like memorial or you know you can find her old house or there's, something? There's not, unfortunately. Well, maybe if someone wrote a guidebook about it and uh, told us where she lived, we could go see it. That's a good idea. And maybe you didn't mention the mall. <laughs> okay, so, so you took uh, how many months going around the state? Um, well, this? I got the contract in January and the final copy of the book before all the edits had to be in September 1st. Wow, that was quick. So how much uh, time on the road did you spend? Was it three months, did you say? It's probably three months back and forth. I mean, I did a lot of, uh, like I said, the preliminary research in San Francisco, and then I would go back. Um, my parents still live in New Jersey, so I'd go back and, and uh, take road trips with my dad or by myself and kind of check out all the places that I had already researched beforehand. Okay, so when you write a guidebook, and somebody, I recently met uh, a guy who's, who wrote a guidebook, a couple guidebooks in Brazil and stuff like that. So does the editor or the publisher give you a stipend or like a per diem or something or any kind of travel expenses to, to do all this? It depends on the company. Moon, um, they work with um, with an advance and then royalties based on your book, which um, doesn't really cover a lot. So <laughs> they give you letters to kind of go to the places and tell them that you're a travel writer and maybe if they, you know, want to give you a little bit of help. But I never used them because I, I felt like that wasn't... Um, you know, that kind of compromised what I was doing. I was trying to see what the, the best places for other people were. And right. Well, I know this is, this is a rumor about, like, Lonely Planet and stuff like that, uh, that sometimes the rumors are that the, that the writer can, like, a certain restaurant might give them 
pay them off basically to get a mention in the book because they get a mention in the book it's huge for business sure. so I mean did you run into any of that I mean I almost never told anybody what I was doing okay. I thought it was most important just to kind of to know the places that were good and maybe check them out here and there and um yeah, in all honesty, I mean, I, I couldn't go to every single place that was right. that was in the book. But, um, you know, I, other people, maybe my friends went to a place or people that I trusted went to the place. And so I ended up including it. Yeah, but you could, you know, if you if you were a dishonest person, you could abuse your power and go, hey, uh, I'm writing this guidebook. Uh, how about a free meal? Of course you could. Okay. And do people do that? <laughs> Have you heard of people doing that? Um, I don't. I'm sure people do do that, but it's not... Um, not anything I would do, so, you know. Yeah. What about hotels and accommodations? Like, I'll go, I'll read the books, and in a town you'll have, you know, accommodations for every budget. Now, do you actually stay in all these places to write all of them? I did not. Okay. Because I couldn't afford to do that. That's what I mean. Um, I mean, how, I did, did, I, how does anybody? I did. I went in and did site inspections in all of them. Oh, most okay. of them. Which, um, you know, New Jersey doesn't have the most eclectic mix of accommodations. It's not like I'm going into these fabulous. A lot of them were standard um, Marriott's and um, Days, days yeah, Inn's. Right. <laughs> Howard Johnson in the uh, old days. Down the shore, though. The, the shore actually has a lot of really cool Down the shore. See, you said it. Down the shore, a very Jersey thing to say. They, you know what's actually funny? It, in the guidebook, when they sent me the edits back, they tried to fix that to going down the shore. And I, I was like, no, you can't do this. You know, what if I, I, I would have lost all credibility in New Jersey if I, if they did that. What, they were going to take it out? They were going to put going down to the shore. And you just say down the shore? You say down the shore. Oh. Yeah. Where did your family go for when they wanted to go to the beach? Ocean City. It's Ocean City. Just south of Atlantic City. And it's actually quite funny because it's a dry town. A lot of towns in New Jersey are dry, but it has the busiest liquor store in the state in Summers Point right over the bridge from Ocean City. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Atlantic City for a second. Uh, what happened to that place? I mean, it was never really... I remember going... I, I only went there a couple times, but uh, it's kind of a dump, isn't it? How did you write about it in, in the book? How did you characterize it? You know, Atlantic City actually had a lot of, has a lot of really cool history and you know, the rat pack spent a lot of time there oh no i'm sure that I mean, history just, wise no but i'm saying okay so it was really good and then it fell apart and they brought in the casinos in the 70s to kind of revive the whole place but it never really took off the way vegas took off um and now they're actually having a lot of problems because there's gambling allowed online and in uh, pennsylvania and so they're closing the casinos again but at the time i was writing the guidebooks they had just opened a new casino the borgata and they were really trying to bring in young people and really turn actually i think the slogan for atlantic city was always turned on it was their their new slogan and um i felt like it was really coming alive i mean there's kind of there's a lot of underneath the greatness there's a lot of really cool things there it's the the real boardwalk is there the real actual monopoly boardwalk is atlantic city you know and so that's that's a really big deal, and um, I just really focused on the history because I think it's really great. And there's a, a history museum that's there, that is there that a lot of people don't know about. Um, and if you go, you get to really check out, you know, the history of saltwater taffy, the history of the Rat Pack, the history of the uh, amusement piers, which are also um, from Atlantic City. I just remember, like, they have this big, beautiful new casino, and, like, literally a couple blocks away, just like a housing project. I remember that. That was a really pretty rough area. Well, I also had to cover Camden, New Jersey, which... Ooh! Yeah. Holiday capital of the world. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's usually rated as one of the top most the dangerous capital, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. small cities in the States. But my Nana was born there, and my father grew up in the town next door, um, or, yeah, next over. And there's actually some really cool things there. Walt Whitman's buried there. Um, there's a cool aquarium that's there, and uh, it's the the home of Campbell Soup, so there's an RCA. You know? Well, my, my uh, father's from Jersey City. So what did you write about my father's hometown? Was there a memorial there of him somewhere? <laughs> I, did, I didn't find out anything is about Jersey your dad Is Jersey City known there. for anything? What yeah, it? Jersey City is actually. And, it was my, and that was another thing. I had never really spent any time in North Jersey. So I got to go to Hoboken. I got to go to Jersey City. I got to go to Newark. Not that a lot yeah. of people would. <laughs> but Jersey City has Journal Square. Um, and right outside of Journal Square is Little India, where it's one of the... Um, They've got this, these amazing um, Indian street foods there. And uh, there's a Liberty State Park, I think it's called. Yeah. It's right across from the Statue of Liberty. And there's a great uh, science museum in the park that's in Jersey City. And um, there were a lot of cool bars and restaurants. I was kind of surprised at that. It, it seems like Jersey... Gentrified like Hobo- Hoboken and stuff. It is a little yeah. bit in areas, but it's still got that grittiness. Yeah, I thought it was funny in both Newark and uh, Jersey City. The streets feel a little bit lawless, especially when you're driving around. There's a lot of potholes. There's a lot of oh, I don't really care about that stop sign. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you don't pump your own gas in Jersey. You do not. I was, I was that always blows me away every time I go there. It's like, oh, what was it? Is this a way to like? Like politicians use it as to save jobs or something? Yeah, it's to save jobs. Oregon's the only other state that doesn't do that. Yeah. It's, it's important to keep those, you know, gas pumping jobs. <laughs> um, okay, let's get off Jersey for a little bit. So give me the uh, best travel gig when you look back of all the, the trips you've taken for, uh, for travel and for business. Was one of them just sitting in, maybe you're in like a five-star place going, this was a sweet gig. My favorite travel gig was I went to Italy last May, not May 2013, to help restore ancient frescoes um, in southern Italy in Puglia. And I wrote a story for BBC on that. Um, it was really amazing. I had never been to Italy before and absolutely fell in love with the area and the food. We only we, we did restoring ancient frescoes, but we also learned cheese making. We um, went out in the field with local shepherds. We had just the most amazing week, and then I was invited back by the family to harvest olives with them in November, and so I ended up forming a relationship with the family, which I thought was really special. So tell me about harvesting olives in Italy. What does that entail, and how do you harvest an olive? It's really, really hard. <laughs> if you're not, uh, it's a lot harder than uh, I thought it would be. But you get up in the morning, and you go to the your olive grove, wherever your trees are, and you lay down these gigantic nets underneath the olive trees, and then you use pneumatic rakes or hand rakes to take all of the olives off the trees onto the nets. You have to make sure you don't step on any of the olives on the nets because you'll lose a lot of the good juices. Then you have to gather up the nets and take all of the olives and pour them into these gigantic crates and then carry the crates back to the van but the entire time you have to be because the pneumatic rakes never stop moving so if you're on nets you need to be moving those nets rolling it getting all the olives off the nets moving them to the next tree as fast as you possibly can and this is from sun up to sundown but the break that you have for lunch is usually the food that grandma makes the night before and it's amazing and you have 
big carafes of wine, and that gets you through the afternoon. <laughs> so basically, the family invited you out to engage in some menial labor for three weeks. You know, a lot of people say to me, "What? What did you?" <laughs> Free get out labor. Of this? Free labor. It was the most amazing experience. I got to experience the, the celebration of a harvest for three weeks, and I got free meals that were so amazing. And I learned some Italian, and I got to take road trips on the days that it rained. Um, and went all over southern Italy and met the most amazing people. My coworkers were from Belgium, Hungary, Lithuania, and Canada. Wow, Canada! In Canada. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, was this company making uh, olive oil, or were they just like, where were the olives going to? Well, they- we would take them to the olive press, and yes, they were making olive oil. But it's just a family. It's just a. A small family in southern Italy, and they, they sell their olive oil locally, and they sell it in Canada because Tonio Crianza, who um, is the the art restorer slash main art, olive harvester, lives in uh, Vancouver with his wife and son, and so he brings a lot of that olive oil back back and sells it at, in Granville Island. I can't believe that was your first trip to to Italy. I can't either, especially because I'm half Italian. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, the, what took you so long? I don't. I think I because I'm from New Jersey. I'm used to a lot of uh, a lot of Italians walking around, a lot or semi Italian. Yes, Italian Americans. Yeah, and well, that's a different animal, though. I, well, but it, they scared me, <laughs> <laughs> and so I didn't quite. Italy was never top of my list. So you were a self hating Italian growing up in Jersey. I was a little. Mm-hmm. I I really connected with my Irish side. Uh, well, you know, one look at the Jersey Shore. TV show and yeah, I understand. I completely understand. Well, like, so when that TV show came out, were you tired of people going, "Oh, you're from Jersey," or do you know uh, what the situation? Sort of. Or yeah, yeah no. Um, well, that was the old comedy bit. Oh, you're from Jersey. What exit? That was the old stand-up uh, hack bit. Was it? Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> so we could just blame that on you. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, you have the Sopranos, and then you got the Jersey Shore. I mean, it, and the problem is, I think that those shows played all over the world. So now you say New Jersey in you know Europe or something, they go, oh, Tony Soprano, or, you know. Yeah, like, sure. Yeah. Maybe they knew Sinatra before, but other than that, you know, nobody knew anything. Anyway. <laughs> okay, let's get away from New Jersey again. So uh, that was your first trip to Italy. Um, what was your worst travel assignment that you got? If you can, hmm. yeah. That is a really good question. I don't know. I have to think about this. I, I mean, all my assignments have been very good. I've been very lucky. But I'd Looking at a clock in some other, for Popular Mechanics somewhere. Could I like doing my Popular Mechanics stories. <laughs> because I'm not really mechanical, and so I have to figure it all out. It, you know, it's a, it's not just about writing. It's about learning, and I right. like that. Well, so you've written about railway travel. Yeah. What is your opinion on railway travel? I really enjoy it. I think uh, I, I probably enjoyed it more 10, 20 years ago when it you know, wasn't so hard for me to sleep in economy three days in a row. <laughs> um, and in the States, it's kind of a hard thing because travel, I mean, the, the railway Amtrak in the States is actually, yeah, but the, I mean, the scenery is quite amazing. I mean, if you've ever taken the train from Chicago to San Francisco on the California Zephyr, that's even, it goes through Colorado. It's absolutely beautiful. So you've taken the train cross-country? Yes, I've taken it all over the country. Okay. Now, taking a cross-country train, on Amtrak anyway, to me, sounds like a nightmare. Just because Amtrak is really a horrible company. Aren't they? 
you know, at the time, I think it was in the late 90s when I took the train, I, th I really did think it was amazing. I've since taken the train um, from Oregon to San Francisco, and that was a little... I think, I think because of the reputation of the train travel in the States... And the problem with Amtrak is that a lot of the tracks they use are... Um, privately owned and so if the train is delayed for any reason it gets delayed more because the people that own the the private tracks you know need to use them for whatever they're using them for um when i took the train from oregon to san francisco i swear that one in three people served time in the car that i was in and it was a little bit uncomfortable um, but if you take the Empire Builder up north that goes through Glacier National Park, you actually get a lot of backpackers and hikers. And that's um, a, a much more, uh, a much better experience. Yeah, I'm sure taking the, uh, like my parents took the train across uh, Canada, you know, that, that one. And I'm yeah. sure that's gorgeous. And, you know, that's like, a, that's a, a tourist thing to do. But yeah, your basic Amtrak travel again. That's why that shorter route from Oregon. To, yeah, you were you were with drifters and ne'er do wells yeah. and it can be a little ex cons and yeah, <laughs> yeah. and greyhounds even worse. We don't even get to talk about them. Don't Did you have to do bus trips? No, but actually, when I was then, I took the train from Glacier to um, Cincinnati and then to visit a friend in Columbus, Ohio. But then I had to take the train out of Cleveland and to get to the train station, I had to take an Amtrak bus, mm. which was not the most pleasant experience and then I got to the train station in Cleveland at about 11 o'clock at night and my train was delayed so I spent the night in the Cleveland train station um, with my guitar which I carried all over the country but still don't know how to play and so I met this guy who of course played Simon and Garfunkel's Homeward Bound for me on my guitar. He learned it in prison? <laughs> I think he was a backpacker okay. but uh at the time, I, did, I, I guess I wasn't, I wasn't so... You know, but, but honestly, I mean, I've met people on the Amtrak who... I met this one guy who was going into the Army, a young kid. He was, uh, you know, a ne'er-do-well, but he was very, very nice, and he could see that I was cold, so he went downstairs and got his very smoky uh, <laughs> sleeping bag and put it over me, and I thought that was Aww. really sweet. Yeah. Aww, I once spent a night in the Newark uh, bus station. And that is a nice cross-section of American voters. Uh, you might want to include that in your guidebook, the Newark bus, spending a night in the Newark bus station. Um, okay, so you have bus travel, train travel. Uh, what is your, if you have to pick your favorite, I know, I, I hate when people make me pick favorites, but your favorite area or country, part of the world to go to. Like you could go back a million times anytime. Wow, that's that's a difficult one. And you can't. I won't let you say Italy too because that's too Italy. easy. Yeah. Um, wow, I don't know. You know, I really like South America, and I, it's a place that I never had really considered traveling. And I went to Colombia and just absolutely fell in, club, in love with Colombia. I fell in love with the food and the scenery and um, the nature and the people. I haven't been yet. I want to go. Oh, you should go. Go to Colombia. The coffee triangle is amazing. Coffee Triangle. Yeah, it's um, south of Bogota and north of Cali. Okay. And um, I flew into Cali, and which is the salsa dancing capital of the world, and met uh, just the nicest people there, and then went up to the Coffee Triangle. I'd love to go back and go to Cartagena. Oh, that's where I want to go. Oh, yeah, I'd like to go there. Okay. But I haven't been. And you don't speak Spanish, or you do? I don't. I don't speak Spanish. And you picked up a little Italian, so no other languages. No, unfortunately. Not even Italian. 
come on, you're people. <laughs> you speak Irish? You can do that. I speak Irish, yeah. yes. Um, I speak oh, the language of Guinness. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so where else in South America did you go? Um, I've since been to Peru, Chile, Argentina. Um, I think that's it. I'd love to go to Ecuador, but I haven't yeah. been there. Okay. Uh, so you did the Machu Picchu thing and all that? I did do the Machu Picchu thing okay. and all that. And all that. Yeah. One country that you, uh, you're you okay with never going back to? Ooh. Okay. Dubai. Okay. Do you well, mean- no, I mean, I would go back to the UAE, but Dubai, that emirate. I have- Why Dubai in particular? Me being a woman and stuff? No, I just, it's like, it's so over the top. And I, I, it took me, I was there for a day and a half and we were on the river that goes through town. And I was like, wow, I'm in another country. I didn't feel, I traveled all the way to the other side of the world and did not feel like I was in another country. Right. I just. It looked like an you know, up, upscale Jersey mall. Everything was a mall. Everything. <laughs> I we know. Went skiing in a mall. The airport's a mall. Yes. Everything is a mall. And it's like the gold mall and the, yeah. um, yeah, the perfume mall and just. But we did go to Sharjah, which is at the emirate that's next to Dubai, and I really enjoyed that. I thought that felt very authentic. Have you spent much time in a lot of uh, Muslim countries where, you know, you couldn't, like, walking around as a woman solo was a little scary? No. But that's another thing. I mean, I feel like, um, I'm not, you know, when I was walking around Nairobi, I, I didn't feel that scared. When I was in Cape Town or um, Durban, South Africa, I felt very comfortable in these places. So... Where do people assume that you're from? Like, like people, where were you said, where they said you were Spanish? Yeah, in Norway, they thought I was Spanish. In <laughs> Colombia, as long as I, I didn't talk, they thought I was Argentinian. Um, so I think a lot of people think, in Italy, they said I look Spanish. Really? Yeah. You could pass for Italian. Easy. I, I don't know why. But in southern Italy, I look more Spanish, apparently, wow. than Italian. So you're very castable, is what you're saying. A lot of different people. Yes, I, I look like I could be from anywhere. I, somebody asked me if I was from. Um, uh, I can't remember some Eastern European country. Some uh, very obscure, and I was uh, like Estonia or Latvia. Uh, no, it starts with an A. Uh, uh, Albania. No. It starts with an A. I thought it did. I can't remember. I'll, Armenia. Yes, Armenia. I thought I was Armenian. You could pass too. Yeah. Jewish too. You could. Yeah. Yeah, you're very, uh, yeah, Armenian. You can come out to, you know, you don't have to go to Armenia. You just go to Glendale. <laughs> that's where they all live. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's a Southern California joke. If you, uh, it's a very LA inside joke. Okay, so you wouldn't go to Dubai again. The one favorite piece of food you've had around the world, if you would go to, like, you ate something, you're going, oh my God, I could eat this every day of my life. Um, I love Thai food, but oh, I am trying so to so good. Um, my fallback was uh, drink green chicken curry in Thailand, which was delicious. Um, God, uh, I loved the food in Lima. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, the ceviche. Oh, the ceviche was so good. Um, I wasn't impressed with the food in Chile. I heard that. I heard that about it. That, that I've never been, but I still have to go. But I, the one thing I heard about uh, Chile, it's a little boring. Is that true? It was a little boring, yeah. I thought that Colombia had some really good national dishes. They had um, a soup. I don't really remember the ingredients in it, but um, 
was their national soup that was amazing. And then we had this garlic trout, which was actually quite cute because our guide said the trout itself, the national dish is very good, but it's better with garlic. But the garlic is so strong that he would only let us, if one person ordered the garlic trout, we all had to order the garlic trout because we would otherwise we'd just all be uncomfortable <laughs> so we all got it and it was delicious you remember the uh craziest uh, thing you've ever eaten like an animal in some country like some weird animal we went to a horse restaurant in italy and everything we ate was horse in many different varieties um okay i've never had it what is what does it taste like it's just meaty like a steak like a regular like a... well the, the way that they cut it it tasted a lot like prosciutto or um but, uh, yeah, it wasn't medium like a steak. We didn't have it in that. It was very thinly sliced, and uh, I don't know. It was good. When I, when I was in Kenya, we went to this. Actually, it was quite touristy, but we went to this place called Carnivores. Oh, yeah, Nairobi. Yeah, I did you go? go? I didn't go, but some people in my group did. Yeah, I mean, and you eat. I think you eat, like, ox balls and <laughs> crocodile and things like that. Uh, so I had a lot of that. I'm actually, I'd love to go to Oaxaca, Mexico. Um, it's the, the home of mole. Mole, yeah. yeah. but it's also the home. They have a lot of, like, crickets. and. Um, which oh, you I, didn't have any of those in Thailand? I didn't, no. I didn't go to the market and see them, like all the grasshoppers. And I really wanted the, them in. We had um, pig's head soup, maybe, in Singapore or something? Yeah, probably. <laughs> you didn't eat any durian, did you? Well, I ate durian when I was in Thailand. <sighs> I didn't, I, I, it's so, it smells it's so nice, bad. But it, it tastes okay, don't you think? They put it in everything. They put it in ice cream. They have durian ice cream. You can I know. Get. I saw that. I saw that. I thought uh, the dim sum in Hong Kong was amazing. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I could eat my way around the world. <laughs> I mean, but do you do, you do um, food critiques and anything like that? Uh, well, I write a, a weekly for Smithsonian online. I do their food and think column where I, I'm a contributor to it. So I write a lot about different national foods. And I wrote a story just recently on uh, foods that you can get in Brazil for the World Cup that were outside of uh, Rio de Janeiro. So because Brazil is such a um, diverse country and the cuisine is very diverse throughout the whole place. And so I, I haven't been to Brazil yet, but it was nice to go. No, I haven't been there. Did Have you been there? I have. But I've only been to Rio and uh, Buzios, which is just north of Rio. But I want to go back and go up, like, north into, um, you know, by, by Salvador and Bahia and all that Amazon. stuff. I did. Well, I went to the Amazon in Peru, but I haven't been in uh, in the Brazil part of it. But I, I would go in a second. My friend, a friend of mine married a woman from Manaus. And, uh, yeah, so she moved up to California and was freezing. Like, because she'd never felt under, like you know, 80 degrees her entire life, you know, so like you got the 50 and she's like in a parka and it was crazy. Um, okay. Well, let's, I guess we could wrap it up. What part of the world would you go to that you always wanted to go your, your top, give me your top five places you've never been. You want to go to this year. I really wanted to get to both, um, Istanbul or Turkey and, uh, Morocco, but I'd love to go to Mongolia too. Why Mongolia? I don't know. I just feel like it's um, kind of off the, you know, off the beaten track. A lot of people don't go there, and it's got, uh, you know, it's it's a mix of Asia and and a lot of Russian influence, and it just I'd like to see the yurts and the nomadic people and eat the mutton. <laughs> I know, but this is okay. So, a girl, the, the most exotic thing I've ever had ever eaten was my yeah, the cheeseburger. cheeseburger. And now I'll eat anything. The um. Is there something you've turned down that you said, there's no way I'm eating that? Nope. 
Nothing? No. Okay. The only thing that I really, really, really hate is stale bread. Okay. <laughs> then don't touch the bread when they put it on your table in Argentina, like in Buenos Aires. Okay. That's the thing. Because wherever you sit down, they're going to put down a thing of bread. Don't touch it. Because, A, they charge you for it if you, t- if you eat it. Really? Yeah. If you, charge, if you eat any of the bread, they'll charge you for it. They don't tell you this. But they'll put a thing of basket of bread on the table and rolls and little things. But if you touch it, you're gonna, they're going to charge you for it. And also, half time, it's stale. Because if nobody touches it, they just keep moving that uh, bread basket around. Yeah. Do you know, I have to say that um, I was saying that Chile has, uh, like, I wasn't that impressed with the cuisine. But I literally came off of the plane from Italy into Santiago, Chile. And I asked them for just a local dish. And they sent me to an Italian restaurant. So I, right there, I was upset. And I kept saying, I don't want to eat Italian. And they said, but we have this amazing t- Italian food. I said, I just spent three and a half weeks in Italy. So. And how was it? It probably didn't, wasn't half as good as... It wasn't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, with all this uh, eating around the world, uh, any food poisoning? Nope. I got sick in uh, Guatemala, but I think it was the Canadian flu. Because I was traveling with... Canadian flu? What does that mean? (laughs) Can't see the hockey game? Was that what they call the Canadian? (laughs) I was traveling with a group of Canadians, and one of them had gotten really sick and went to the hospital. And uh, just called it the Canadian flu. But it was funny because my parents were very upset, and they thought they said, oh, we knew this was going to happen if you were going to Central America. And I said, it had nothing to do with being in Central America. No, actually, I've got a pretty... uh, a pretty tough stomach, so... I, I do, too, but the one place that took me down was uh, India. Have you been to India? No, I haven't been to India. By that, okay. Yeah. Because that's common. That's uh, Everybody gets sick in yeah. India. There, and I uh, heard uh, Egypt is the other one. Have you been Where, to Egypt? I have not been. Have you been to Egypt? I haven't. Okay. That's high on my list, too. Um, so, all this travel around the world, what do you think it's, like, taught you? Uh, How has it shaped you as a person? And... Uh, how has it changed the way you look at people in the world? Um, I'm less scared of things, I think. You know, I mean, I don't think any one place is entirely bad or good. Or, And uh, I can talk to anybody, I think, is one of the... I mean, the more you travel, the more stories you have, and the more you have to talk about, and the more that you can relate to other people around the world and, and just just... You know, anybody that you meet anywhere, you always have something to talk to them about and um, and share with them. And I think it's just, uh, I just, it just makes me realize how small the world really is. You know, I think that after I flew to South Africa, I, I flew back to New York and then flew directly to um, Singapore. And so I had done, in a month, I did a trip around the world plus a side trip to South Africa. And when I was looking at all the countries on the map when you're flying over them, think, oh my god, I've just flown over every place, basically. I mean, there, there are some places that are harder to get to than others, but no places... I mean, you just, you just go and you get there, and when you're there, I just I always feel very comfortable in other countries. Probably more so sometimes in San Francisco. So yeah. Well, this is like, go back to uh, your profession. Um, now with every kid who's uh, 22 years old and likes to travel, has a blog about it. Um travel writing is like it's all over the web how has the decline of magazines and everything and the advent of so much online stuff changed your business and is it was a scary thing and is it just more outlets for you to work at or did, did they pay at all i mean how does how has the web really affected you well i don't know i mean i only write for places that'll pay me since it's my profession but um 
I, uh, I don't, it doesn't scare me because, you know, things change. The world changes. You've got to change with it. So I don't, it, it just, to me, it does, it's not worth stressing about it. Um, if an outlet, if I lose an outlet, I can pick one out someplace else. You know, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the travel I do because I love traveling and, you know, popular mechanics, I can, I can write those articles from home. So I don't, being a, a travel writer doesn't necessarily mean I'm always writing about travel. It means I'm a writer that travels all the time, um, which is great because I can write while I'm traveling. But, um, yeah, a lot of the stories that I write, I mean, I, I write things about my own backyard. So um, there's always there's always a story. The more you do, the more stories you have. And I think um, there's a lot of people with different levels of uh, abilities. And, I, you know, I, I'm pretty confident in what I do and, and that I'm good at it and that I enjoy it. And I think that shows. So... Great. Well, where, where can people uh, find your work? And uh, is there a website or something they can go to and visit? I'm so bad with that stuff. Uh, they can Google well, I'll me. I'll be good with it. <laughs> they can Google me, uh, Laura, L-A-U-R-A, K-I-N-I-R-Y. Um, and all your articles will show up. There, Yes, there will be pages and pages of my articles. So eventually I will get a website and... Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So what is the eventual goal? Do you really want to, like, say, write a book in, in the future or another book? Is it another travel book or something completely different? Um, what does the future hold for one Laura Kennery? I just want to keep writing and traveling and whatever, uh, making more money, maybe. <laughs> enough. I mean, I don't need a lot, so just enough to kind of feel secure. Um, and uh, I don't know. You know, I'd like to write longer articles, bigger articles. Um more of them you know i do a, a lot of them but uh and just see the world yeah. good answer all right that's our van ride everybody <laughs> well thanks so much for doing this thank you i know you're a captive audience because we're in the back of a van <laughs> we're but... in the back of a van <laughs> and i still haven't had my coffee i know me either i thought he was gonna stop he didn't stop i know maybe he'll that's start. the place we stop oh i guess we're not stopping <sighs> I wish I'd have known that. Wish I'd have known that. That's why I didn't make coffee this morning. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much. It was great meeting you. It was great meeting you, too. Uh, Laura Kenner, everybody. (laughs) 